while I was prepping for this episode, I did a ton of research mm-hmm. on the Canadian elections because, in all honesty, I I just feel like I'm not up to speed with what's going on here. But yeah, as had, much as much, but. I am very updated <laughs> and informed with what's going on in, in the U.S. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know why. I feel like I don't know why I've just been so much more interested in what's happening in the south side of the border versus yeah. what's happening right here. Well, I think it's because, one, I think there's just so much more, like, drama, for like a lack of a better totally. word, that's happening in um it's like a it's like a revolution almost is mm-hmm. essentially it's like the revolution of the right wing for like a lack of a better way to put it and i think maybe revolution has positive connotations but it's it's not um and i think that the way that the u.s is it's not just like an isolated thing that's happening in the u.s i think the u.s is what it stands for is so is such a it's like a player on like the global stage and what happens in the u.s has a trickle down or like a domino effect to the rest of the world like Canada. Hi friends, my name's Nadine and my name is Thadini. And welcome to You Know What I Mean. Sorry, but just a side note, we recently upgraded. Oh we, when we bought mics for this podcast, we bought two. Well, we bought four. <laughs> we actually bought four because we are sick. That's very, why. we just, we like to learn as we go. Um, so we bought these like clip-on mics from Amazon. That didn't work. And well, then that we, didn't work because we didn't know how to use them. Straight up. So technically they could work, but that's Who, a separate issue. We just, we don't want to know because we, we already spent, we spent so much money on these new mics, which we are now using, <laughs> but we didn't know how to use both of them at the same time. Anyway, to put a very long story short, I figured out a way yesterday. Amazing. And I, Can we just I actually like pour one out for Nadine? Thank I'm you doing it so I'm much. I don't think we've sounded better in our, in our lives. I sound better than I do like every day. I sound better I mean? on this than I do in my actual life. So anyways, back to the elections. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little bit different because usually our conversation or our episode is very conversation based. Um, but I think something that we've heard from few, uh, like quite a few of our viewers mm-hmm. – even though you're not watching this, you're listening. Our listeners. Our listeners is you want like more fact-based information. Here we go. So the way that we're going to structure this episode is this episode is obviously all about the Canadian elections that Mm -hmm. are coming up. There was advanced polling this weekend. Yep. And the actual election day is October 21st. Um, It's for the federal elections. Yep. Um, And the way that this episode is going to be structured is – The first little bit, we're going to basically give you a rundown of every party's, um, major or not, every party's, like, a too-long-didn't-read version of their platform, where they stand on key issues. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time discussing the three major parties, which is Liberal, Conservative, and NDP, Mm -hmm. um, what their platform is in its entirety in relation to issues that are relevant to us and the most relevant, say, to Gen Z and millennials because actually we make up the largest number of the the population that's voting. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you kind of get educated on what is important to you and what you need to know in order to make a good decision when you go out and vote and hopefully you are going out and voting because voting actually has been – the percent of the population that's voting has been the smallest it's been since like 1965 or something. On the subject of uh, voter turnout for millennials, I read a stat on CBC that said that from 2011 to t- the last election, which in was in 2015, um, voter turnout for the age group between 18 to 24 actually rose up by 13 points. That's amazing. Um, so it went from 55% to uh, 68%. That's incredible. Yeah. And just goes to show what an impact that, like, part of the population can make exactly and and i obviously was something that they had also mentioned as well was that 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 trend is steadily increasing so if that's the case there's about half a million votes that are up for grabs yeah which is incredible Mm -hmm. and i think is 
it's so good to see like younger people get more involved in politics totally but i think the trend overall mm-hmm. um is that there's more voter apathy and less people are voting totally which is sad to see okay this is how we're gonna do it mm-hmm. we're going to start now with a breakdown of yep. each party um party's platform like a quick fire round yeah exactly Okay, so let's start with the Liberal Party. So the Liberal Party is actually the oldest political party that's existed in Canada. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is super interesting. Um, They are strongly supportive of unrestricted um, abortion, LGBTQ plus rights, and high rates of immigration. But they also favor a free market economy. What does that mean? They basically, what that means, I took economics, everybody. Please don't (laughs) quote me on this. I hope no one from McGill is listening. (laughs) um is basically that it is the free market is that the supply and demand like the economy kind of comes to an equilibrium by itself and it's not burdened by hugely um strict regulatory practices by the government exactly um so while the government can intervene in terms of in in helping to stimulate the economy through tax taxes etc it is not fixing the market in any way um the liberal party is like a centrist left party Mm -hmm. um and so there are obviously parties that are more left obviously parties that are more right Mm -hmm. um but overall they are more progressive in what they stand for and what they believe for in fact with um trudeau and government there was gender parity in the cabinet and also in ontario was the first time that an lgbtq plus woman was elected which is awesome which is awesome so that is the Liberal Party in a very quick nutshell. Yeah. Moving on to the Conservative Party. So the leader for the Conservatives is Andrew Scheer. I didn't know this, but after extensive research, we found that the Conservative Party was actually a newer party than mm-hmm. the Liberals. Yeah, They've been around for less. Yeah, who would have thought? So they were actually founded in 2003, which looking back seems like a long time, but it's crazy to think that was within the this millennium um they are supportive of lower taxes a smaller and less intrusive government uh they have a stronger regime of law and order and they hold traditionalist views on matters that involve sex gender family and human life so they are more on the right side of Mm -hmm. politics they're the centrist right but exactly i think you could argue more right more right center exactly okay the next one is the NDP. So the NDP was actually founded in the midst of the Great Depression, and it started off as a socialist party. But now what it stands for is the New Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, so what they kind of, their view of what the economy should be is more of a mixed economy, which is where the government tightly regulates the economy, but it doesn't run it. So it is more, um, it takes a larger part than, say, the liberal uh, government does but it doesn't want to run the economy it they do want there to be some sort of like an invisible hand so the ndp is considered similar to the liberal party but it's more left in terms of its beliefs and it takes a more aggressive and progressive position on things like taxing the wealthy taxing the large cor- corporations um it takes more aggressive stance on environmental regulation um and social um social welfare and social services in general I guess now there yeah, are... I'm like teetering. I'm like, should we talk about the remaining three? Yeah. I think really quickly, the remaining three are Bloc Quebecois, mm-hmm. the Green Party, and, and the, the People's Party. Which I think is a new party that it's was introduced new. this year. Yeah. for it, At least in this um, round of elections. Yeah. So actually, we can talk about this really quickly because it's so quick. The mm-hmm. People's Party um, is the leader of the People's Party actually used to be on conservative, but found the conservative to be moving too in the in the way of centrist right. Yeah. Or centrist left, sorry. And he was more right-leaning. Mm-hmm. So um, he actually broke off away from the conservatives and started his own party called the, the Pe- People's Party. Yes. And in a nutshell, they are more um, right-leaning than even the conservative party yeah um so what that means is they want to they're much more aggressive in how they spend in terms of like in where they're putting their money yeah um where they stand on certain social issues Mm -hmm. climate change they um 
it's it's tough to say, but you know, I think when it comes to elections, especially in this current climate, you have to look at things with a non-biased view. But their stance on climate change is that it's not caused by humans, and that it it should be it doesn't exist. So that is kind of a very very high level perspective on where they stand and kind of an indicator on where they stand on other issues exactly exactly um bloc quebecois is known as a separatist party so they are really they i i I mean i I don't think this is a biased opinion but Mm -hmm. they really stand for the um the best interest of Quebec. Yes. So they are there to represent Quebec. Quebec on a national stage. Exactly. Because historically, Quebec has been wanting to separate from Canada for a very long time. So uh, they are almost like the, uh, well, they're essentially the leading separatist political party yeah. that's currently in our parliament. Yes. Um, the other one is the Green Party, which actually given, I think, with climate change becoming a much more bigger topic than it has in the past few years Mm -hmm. um they have i would say like have become more of a contender than they have in the past yeah they have um so obviously the green party what is their main platform is having more aggressive um, measures taken to prevent climate change um and to not prevent because it's already happening but to rectify climate change um but actually the reason that they have gained popularity especially in this election is because they have um, enhance their platform to include other issues like I mean their platform was mostly about the climate but now includes things um, it's it's a it's, a it's a more diverse platform I would say yeah it's a more diverse platform the way that they've pos- positioned themselves is like they are the uncorrupt like still not motivated but like the less cynical party that you should vote for they're right. truly like for the people yeah which is it kind of goes to to i know like trini and i were we were talking about this recently when we were talking about um like what's been happening in the states and the negative effects i mean i don't really see any positive effects but the negative effects of donald trump um and it's it's that it's it's ignited um mistrust of government within yes people yes. across across parties and so i think where the green party stands is like like Trini said this uncorrupt uh fresh perspective yes fresh perspective that's that's exactly the word i was looking for yeah uh, and um really like to your point a people's party yeah okay so that's kind of a breakdown of where each party stands on overall yeah but really when you look at the elections there are three main contenders yeah there is the political the conservative party mm-hmm. i was gonna say the political party <laughs> the conservative party well, the honestly with all these what i find the most challenging with canadian elections <laughs> are all the different parties that we have yeah and i think that's what makes the u.s elections so much easier to keep up with because it's like you you're They're either clearly democratic two. or you're republican even when you go to vote in the u.s elections you actually have to declare what party you stand with mm-hmm. before you even go to vote yeah um i know that you can like switch what party you're with but that's like beside that's going too into detail <laughs> but this is something that we were talking about which is it's really there's so many different parties even though there's a very small group of legitimate contenders yeah that historically yes exactly are make it within the race yeah and those three are liberal conservative and ndp yeah um and i think since i think 2011 this is the biggest rise in ndp that we've seen um in in 2011 actually the ndp party came second to conservative but uh beat the liberals yeah and now we're seeing a rise in ndp as well okay can we talk a bit sorry before we dive into Mm -hmm. it because we're on the subject of of having these three contenders i really struggle with obviously in this i here in canada not obviously you may not know but we vote um we do what's called a strategic we have strategic voting, voting. yes which means that <laughs> dun, dun, dun. unlike in the states where you vote specifically for who you want to hold office you in canada vote for the party who's likely to go against 
against. It's like you are essentially voting for the lesser of two evils. So you may not necessarily agree 100% with the party that you are voting for. Mm -hmm. But what you are trying to do in, in what you're trying to achieve in doing so is keep out the government that you do not want. You're voting against who you don't want. Instead of voting for who you do want. Who you do actually want. Um, Which I have, I find to be quite conflicting because um, there are policy wise, I stand with one party. Yeah. But I think the, the, uh, the likelihood or the, you know, the chance of them winning. I just, I don't know if I would be willing to risk putting my vote somewhere that I know has, uh, has a sizable, um, potential for not winning the election. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. No, it totally makes sense. Okay. So if you are not from Canada or maybe are from Canada, but aren't entirely sure about how the election process works right now, the way that (laughs) right now, (laughs) right now, in this moment in time, the way that the elections work is it's the first past the post or something like that. And basically it means that whoever gets the most amount of votes wins. Um, yeah. So you don't vote directly for, let's say like, Let's say you're voting liberal. You won't directly vote for Justin Trudeau, but you'll vote for the liberal um, representative that's in your writing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which the way that that works is so you vote for the person in your riding who mm-hmm. is of the party that you want to vote for. Mm-hmm. And then that equals the number of seats that they have in house mm-hmm. in turn leads to, you know, the majority or like the governing force. Totally. Yep. In the party. Um a big platform that the liberal liberal party ran on in 2015 was that they wanted to have electoral reform. And basically what that means is the way that it works now like I've already mentioned is the whichever party gets the most amount of votes wins and they're kind of who's in power. But the concern of Canadians was that this isolates people who are marginalized who are already kind of isolated from the election process or from majority provinces like essentially that it shows a false representation of what the majority actually is mm-hmm. um within canada and so one of the things that the one of the so the platform that the 2015 elections the liberals ran on was that they would put together a working group that consisted of people from all different parties and they would present within 18 months present um, what they believed to be a good a good alternative to the way elections are done now, and then that would be put in place for the upcoming elections, which is now. But essentially what happened with that is a few, I want to say within a year in, or maybe even less, within seven months into um, the Liberal Party in power, the government was like, the Liberal government, Justin Trudeau, was like, actually, I don't believe that this is something that, the Can- that Canadians care the most about, and mm-hmm. I believe our efforts would be best would be best utilized elsewhere. So this electoral reform, this initiative for electoral reform is essentially going to be abandoned. Mm-hmm. And I think people were up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. And comes back to the point of strategic voting because now what you are forced to do in Canada is pick between who you don't want to win and then vote for the other party. Right. Whereas, say, if it was... if there was some sort of electoral reform that had been put in place, you maybe could vote for the party that you actually wanted to. Yeah. And ensure that it was more proportionate. Totally. Well, on that note. On that note. Let's dive into each, into the the issues that we were looking at. Yeah, actually. Okay, so the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. The criticisms of the Liberal Party have been that they have been spending without any restraint Mm -hmm. so there has which has led to a huge um deficit deficit from their budget and i think you were the one who told me that when their like accounting or their financial team um came out with a statement saying that if that if the budget was to be balanced this wouldn't happen before 2040 yeah so part of so one of the biggest criticisms like you said of the liberal party today is that in their campaign of 2015, mm-hmm. they said that they would maintain a balanced budget. budget. Um, 
they haven't been yeah. able to do that um and they their financial department is forecasting that they won't be able to balance their budgets until 2040 right so what that means when you have a huge government deficit is that the government is spending more than like the, the government money. is in debt the government is in debt exactly their revenue is less than their spending their spending or their expenses their expenses yeah um so what that leads to or how that affects us is that it could potentially lead to inflation mm-hmm. which is an increase in the price of goods yes um not to get too into the economics of things like look at us ba with economics yeah but what that could also potentially lead to um usually inflation, a rise in inflation also leads to a rise in unemployment rate. Yes. Um, the longer that the inflation lasts, the deeper the, we go into a potential recession. Yeah. And so the way that that works is what was done in the past when the government, when a government has huge debt is they essentially print more money. Mm-hmm. They print more money in order to um, have more money to spend but what that does is it actually decreases the value of the dollar which makes the canadian dollar say if this were to happen in canada the canadian dollar on this stage it on the world stage it makes it worth much less which means that importing for us is now much more expensive and exporting for us is sorry importing for us is much more expensive and exporting is much less profitable which actually increases the weight increases the gap um and furthers this deficit what it also does is it makes buying for buying things for Canadians more expensive because you can't afford it anymore. Um, and then once once Canadians stop spending and stop injecting money into the economy, it, you get closer and closer to a recession. Mm-hmm. And once the Canadian economy, once Canadians stop investing into the economy and the government isn't um, injecting money into the economy because they already are in such a deficit, that's what leads to the crash of the economic or financial market. Yeah. Economics 101. Um, so where our three contenders sit in regards to deficits, the Liberal Party has pledged to keep deficits under $10 billion and said that its government would balance the books by 2019, both of which it hasn't done. Yeah. Um, their election platform includes $9.3 billion in new spending for 2020, so 2021, um, with their current deficit rising to $27 billion. So, yeah. This is a soft topic or, or a soft spot for the Liberal Party because this is one of their campaign pledges that they obviously couldn't reach. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't deliver on. That being said, part of what has contributed to their deficit has been investment in social services. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, where was that money actually spent? Yes, And it was spent exactly. in social services. Exactly. Um, and what, are, so, sorry, so like, what are social services? It's like healthcare. It's like... Um, helping the elderly it's like funding abortion rights it's funding health care for people who may not be able to afford it exactly it's supporting kids with autism yeah and child care and child child care care. yeah and women's health rights yes exactly um the conservative party's stance on this uh so andrew Scheer has promised his party would erase the deficit while cutting taxes so typically what you'll find with deficits like we said that the revenue of government um a deficit means that what the government has coming in as revenue is less than what they're spending. So sometimes you'll find that your taxes might uh, might increase. And so what Andrew Scheer has promised is that they would erase the deficit while cutting taxes. But this includes getting rid of foreign aid by 25%, canceling corporate handouts, and cutting costs on consultants and federally owned real estate. Um, their party has planned to balance the books by over five years. And then if they accomplish that, he pledges legislation to make sure all future budgets are balanced ones. So, but you also, sorry, keep going. I was going to say that uh, currently in Ontario, we have a conservative government in yeah, our so in Ontario in our provincial yeah, in our provincial government uh the conservative party is the majority they too have promised to cut back on costs yeah and they have not the, the the federal leader like kind of sets the agenda for exactly. the provincial leaders exactly um they have not fallen short on that promise but what that's come at a cost of no pun intended mm-hmm. is um a serious cutback on social services 
And that affects children and minorities and women the most. Exactly. So what that has done is it has cut back on um, one of the biggest things is education. Yes. So what has happened is there is an overcrowding in classrooms. Um, so you're not like your child isn't getting as pers- as much of a personalized care as maybe they right. would have. Two, there are less teachers in, in the school. Yeah. Um, which obviously puts a strain on the school system and on the teachers that are there because when they maybe were um, teaching 25 to 28 students, they're now teaching upwards of 30. And I, we had dinner with one of our teachers from high school. Yeah, yeah. And I remember she said something, something crazy. I don't know if it was her or somebody else of a classroom of 40 students that's in high school yeah so there is still a cap on elementary and middle schools but that's in high school and actually she was saying that she can't even go around and do homework checks anymore because the classrooms are so like jam-packed she can't actually make her way through the classroom yeah um so it's obviously affected um children in the public education system but it has like twice affected children who have special needs because what it does is there are no longer teachers and there are no more resources to be able to tend to the specific care of children with disabilities. Um, what it has also done, it is as in trying to balance the budget, they have cut social spending for um, health care. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're both under 25. What once our medication may have been subsidized, it no longer is. And then for people who are seniors, what medication that may once have been subsidized no longer is. Right. Um, and that makes that increases the disparity between um, it increases the disparity of people who are able to get access to health care. Right. Which is a huge problem because of how expensive medication and health care is. Another thing that they've done is kind of going back to children is they have cut um, after school care. Yeah. Or subsidizing after school care, which is something that the liberal party is does not want to cut back on. Right. The, the liberal party's um as as we've i think we've brought up before their stance is on they are in support of social services and mm-hmm. their opposition is cutting back, back on social services obviously everything comes at a cost and yeah. this cost is that they're they have a higher deficit yeah. than um other parties plan to have yeah um the new democratic party in regards to deficits where they stand is that they plan to balance the budget when prudent but they don't have a target date yeah, that is quite different to their 2015 campaign, where they planned um, or they had promised to run four years with a balanced budget. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking out loud. Like a balanced budget is, and a, a consistent four years of a balanced budget seems like I may I might be wrong. A bit of like an inconsistent, not an inconsistent. Sorry, quite a big promise. It is to make. Well, it is because there are so many things that happen within the world economy that in that in turn have an effect on the Canadian economy yes. that that a Canadian leader has no way of control, not no way, but has a minimal way of controlling. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea there is just that. I think there is a general consensus that, yes, the liberal government is spending a lot of money. Right. And so I think what the NDP is trying to say is not that we're just going to cut left, right, and center the way that the conservative is, but mm-hmm. that we are going to, like they have said, do it when prudent. So, yeah. like, we are not going to cut healthcare rights for women or for children or schools. And these are uh, because these are all important things that, like, make up the economy. Mm-hmm. But instead, I don't know. I don't know where they would cut the budget or, right. or try to kind of tailor back. But I think that's the idea is that that's what they mean by when prudent. So this kind of leads into the subject of taxes. Yeah. So basically what the liberal government wants to do in like a very quick summary is they want to tax middle and lower class families less Mm -hmm. and make up that budget by taxing large corporations and the wealthy more. So people who make over 200, who have a who have an annual household income of over $200,000, they want to tax them more. Whereas if you have a lower, um, if you fall on the lower end of the spectrum on your annual household income, you will actually get taxed less. The conservative party um, has promised a universal tax cut of 1.25% over three years on taxable income under 47K. Mm-hmm. So what the... The difference between the two is the liberal government is kind of proposing a tax cut that for people who are 
making less money. Mm -hmm. But how are they going to make that up is by taxing people who make more money. Because as we know, people who make more, although taxes are a percent of your income, Mm -hmm. the more money you make, um, the bigger that percentage, the bigger that percentage gets. And so what the liberal government wants to do is make up the deficit, make up the gap from taxing lower income families less by taxing people who make more money more and large corporations more what the and what the conservative government is saying instead of that is not that we are going to tax large corporations and people who make more money more Mm -hmm. all we're going to do is tax people who make under 47k less got it does that so does that make sense yeah so they're not they don't have a plan i guess to make up that difference and also the parameters against which the conservative versus the liberal government considers like a lesser or lower annual income is huge because the conservative government is saying if you make under 47k Mm -hmm. which is a large population of canada Mm -hmm. but um there are people who make who have an annual household income of 60k and they should also be getting some sort of a tax break and they also promise a single tax form for quebec (sighs) yes quebec but I think um, – so this is kind of an interesting point because it actually leads immediately into the point for climate change or the platform for climate change. Sorry, do we want to quickly tell – say what Yeah, what's the, NDP? NDP, they're hiking the rate for capital gains inclusion from 50% to 75%. They are essentially taxing the wealthy more, yeah. like aggressively more. Because that's – like that was their platform is like they do believe yeah. that um, – the like corporations especially large corporations yeah. um need to be more strictly regulated right in order to help boost the economy because they make the most amount of money it only makes sense that they get taxed yeah the most anyways um this kind of leads perfectly into the point for climate change yep. because one of the things that the conservative government is really riding on is the fact that the liberal and in turn the NDP but the liberal party is essentially saying to corporations we are going to have a um, a carbon tax what a carbon tax is is you have to pay a tax for a certain amount of carbon emissions that you are producing mm-hmm. whether you're a company whether you're whether you're a person whatever that is yeah and what they're essentially saying is the, the conservative government is saying that don't vote liberal because mm-hmm. the price of gas is already so high and mm-hmm. if you vote liberal the price of gas is going to go up even more and that ties in with the carbon with the carbon um with the carbon taxes because the the liberal government is basically saying we're it's going to become more expensive to have to use gas yeah. in hopes of incentivizing people to turn away from gas yes and so the liberal government is saying He's talking about lowering, like the the liberal government is talking about lowering taxes, but actually your um what you're spending on gas is going to go up by thirty percent. Mm-hmm. I saw this like propaganda, and so did you at the um at the gas station, yep. and I actually went around and I ripped them all down. So I was like, <laughs> this is fake news, everybody, because and the reason why is because if you think about it. It's the best way, in my opinion, to actually incentivize people to make more green choices. Because if you think about it, the cost of goods consistently go up, whether it's apples, whether it's gas, whether it's housing. And so what this allows Canadians to do is actually make alternative and better decisions for your family instead of just saying gas is not going to go up. It actually provides you with the decision-making power to say, okay, I still make X amount of dollars. Where can I take money away from this and put it somewhere else? It gives you the power to choose. So like you don't have to now, all of a sudden it's unaffordable. It is more expensive because you're saying, okay, you know what? You make that cost-benefit analysis because you say, okay, you know what? Gas is more expensive. What actually might make more sense for me and my family is to invest in a in a car that is sustainable for the environment. And so that's what the carbon tax is, is essentially trying to do is it's trying to give the power of, to Canadians to say, okay, where if this is more expensive where can i take my buying power and move it into something that is sustainable for me and my family without the entirety of spending become becoming unattainable for me right i think too the importance of carbon tax is that it allows the government to reinvest that money into sustainable um 
sustainable and green alternatives. Exactly. Um, I think climate change is too big of a topic now, especially with with uh, with all the hype that's been surrounding it yeah. and all the um, increase in conversations surrounding it. I think that you can't. Again, this is like our personal opinion, but yeah, you can't look at it as a just an on the surface monetary cost exactly because it's not exactly it's it's not and i i think you can't the way i look at it is that if i know i'm contributing just in my everyday lifestyle to climate change and the increase in climate change i should be paying a cost to that yeah because the cost of the environment is something that's going to come it's not an immediate you know cost to me but yeah, down the line and in the future, in the I'm going to future, see the yeah. effect of it. And, you know, I I think everybody holds some sort of, some level of responsibility to that. Towards, yeah, of course. And where does, I guess, NDP, the way NDP stands on this is in line with the liberals and maybe even more, a bit more left. Yes. So the liberals and, so essentially the liberals and the NDPs are in support of a carbon tax. The difference here is with the Conservative Party. So what the Conservative Party stands on in regards to carbon tax is that they believe that it's ineffective and they vow to repeal it. So what they have decided to do is set it so that each province can decide whether or not they want to apply a tax. Um, And then they kind of leave it up to each province to decide for themselves. But what they want to do is they want to reduce carbon emissions by investing in green technology. The important thing to note here is that the green technology is actually funded in part by some of the biggest polluters polluters who fail to meet their own standards that's been set for them in terms of their carbon emissions. They haven't gone into detail how investing into investing in green technology will be more effective than a carbon tax, but they've just said that they're going to be um, taking their money and putting it towards greener technology. Which is not to say that the Liberals and NDP aren't doing that either. Yeah. Um, I think the the idea of climate change kind of ties in perfectly with Indigenous rights. Yes. So another criticism of the Liberal government is that he wanted to, he, like in his 2015 campaign, what he said he wanted to do was implement all fast, all of the 99 given provisions of the truth and reconciliation act Mm -hmm. and he he couldn't do all 99 um and people are very mad about it and the other thing is that he talks about you know caring about the climate and caring about indigenous rights and kind of rebuilding that trust um but instead what he has done is approve the snc lavalin pipeline Mm -hmm. to go through indigenous land um while so many reserves continue to not have access to water so i think that that's a that's a huge criticism um whereas the ndp government uh is actually the conservative government i think it's pretty clear in that they don't necessarily have a plan on um rebuilding the um relationship with indigenous communities so their stance on it um they So the leader has committed to a national action plan um, and is eager to work with Indigenous communities on developing energy resources, but they do stand in support of pipelines. Exactly. So I think the biggest criticism, like you said, of the Liberal Party was that they they stand on two issues that actually contradict one another. That are opposing. Um, They are standing for the uh, support of climate change and making sure that we are building a more environmentally friendly... um, environment environmentally friendly Friendly environment (laughs) yes with policies that support that yet they approve pipelines that not only that not only uh support the import of foreign oil and the constant production of oil and the transport of oil but also uh, but at a cost at a cost to indigenous communities communities okay so in summary with what's going on with the pipelines is this The Liberal government is basically saying, we have met our carbon reduction target while maintaining a pipeline. So it's actually, so it's fine that we still have this pipeline because our target to reduce carbon emissions has been met. Okay. What the NDP government is saying is that we absolutely do not support any pipelines because not only is it counterintuitive to helping the climate, but it is also counterintuitive 
to um, supporting our treaty or supporting our um, indigenous communities. Indigenous communities. What the conservative and the People's Party is saying is that we actually 100% fully support (laughs) the construction of pipelines Mm -hmm. throughout Canada. And it does not matter. And we believe that Canadians should be able to have energy from within Canada and not be outsourced to the the United States. And so we support it. And we actually will go as far as to fight the Supreme Court of Canada in order to be able to build pipelines. So you can tell that this is quite a hot topic because um, the conservative, the right stance. So when we're talking about like the conservative and then also the People's Party. The right as in right wing. Yes. Correct. That they are basically i i'm laughing because i get very confused by this because they want to give each province the power to veto um the decision for a pipeline so let's say for example in alberta if they had a pipeline that was coming through that they were in support of and believed was in the national interest the conservative the conservative stance is that alberta should be given the power Mm -hmm. to go against the government Mm -hmm. um and continue the construction of the pipeline yes so if the government said no we're not doing this pipeline alberta can go and say actually no we actually are. we do believe we, we should. which we doesn't make any sense because this is the point that you had mentioned what's the point of having one governing like leader yes exactly if the if each if each province is just going to um move in their no, own interest and says we believe that this is in the best interest of the nation not yeah. just of our federal population yeah totally um which on i'm like my head hurts because i just i feel i feel like i'm just seeing so many potential future issues that come out of this if every province has their own right to be like that. yeah has has given the their own like complete power to make decisions on like national issues yeah no of course based on what they believe to be the right thing anyways that's kind of so that's kind of that um but i think that the but something that's really important to note um the relationship between the indigenous communities and justin trudeau is one that's quite strained i think the reason being is that one we talked about the pipelines already Mm -hmm. and two there have been a lot of laws and uh you know the truth and reconciliation reconciliation. which was by the united nations i believe Mm -hmm. um these are all laws that justin trudeau has promised to put into effect and hasn't yeah and so i think there's a lot more that's worth you know looking into into what he has actually done yeah exactly because uh i think that's i think that's a topic I, i personally am not as well-versed well-versed in it to speak to it but i know that it's one that is it's a it's a strained relationship yeah okay we have to move on because we have some more stuff to talk about but i think to kind of conclude that um while there are a million things that were said that were going to be done and are not and have not been done um and you know you can definitely argue may not be done given the track record of justin trudeau's like standing Mm -hmm. in the last four years as um as a leader I think it is the first government in a long time that has led Canada that has actually claimed to even make any of these things happen. Um, And I think that the image that that has set for the image that that like the the what's the word I'm trying to say, but the like president, the precedent, but like the he might may not have implemented all the things that he wants to have implemented Mm -hmm. what it does do is it sets an example freaking that's the word i'm looking for it Mm -hmm. sets an example for how for how people look at indigenous communities and indigenous people because there are a lot of stereotypes that are still lingering within the canadian population well i think that i think the hard part of this is that they've obviously i think indigenous community not i think this is fact they've been living under oppression for a very very long time yeah and so when they see a an opportunity for a leader to come in and give them back the rights that they deserve and the rights that they are entitled to they invest so much of their time and energy energy and resources and their vote in someone that they really believe was an ally yeah but when you know it was when push came to shove it when just it didn't come shove out and it didn't 
yeah, it didn't pan out, it can be quite disappointing. Of course. And it can also, it can just reinstate this, this distrust. This sense of like people, like the the miss yeah the mistrust but also this distress that like we are not represented or we are not being cared for or tended to in the elections which which kind of goes back to our whole point about electoral reform Mm -hmm. which is why it was so important um and also why um there are parties like the green party that are like we are truly for the people yeah and we were not like one of the main parties and so vote for us yeah i find that i you know like in indigenous the topic of indigenous um rights aside mm-hmm. i find that when so take the u.s for example okay right now <laughs> i have to teeter back to this because i know so much i'm joking i don't i only know a fraction of the information that's out there but let's say the democratic party comes into government yeah. and wins the next election yeah they're gonna have to spend the first, the, whoever the president is going to be, will have to spend the first term cleaning up the mess yeah. of President Trump before they can even look into implementing some of their election or campaign promises. Which you can argue is what happened with Justin Trudeau because there had been two terms of a conservative government yes. in Canada prior to his yes. taking office. Well, it kind of happened too with, with President Obama. Yeah, he had to come in. He had two wars. He had a, a he had a, like a financial crisis that was one of the worst since the Great Depression. So we had to do a lot of cleaning up, and I think that's something that people have to take into consideration. Yeah, again, putting the the rights of Indigenous people that subject aside, because I think that's obviously um, that's kind of exempt from this. Exempt from this, yeah, but this like this consideration yes exactly the point really that i'm trying to get at is that when i look at political party platforms i always take it with a grain of salt because i know that they're not going to be crossing they're not going to be able to every single one yeah. because something's going to come up some um some roadblock that's going to hold them back from really going yeah. after all their campaign promises yeah okay moving on yep. to our last um platform topic yes is women's rights yes in a nutshell yeah go sorry so but it's important to note though that like when we were looking up each party's platform um there wasn't one specifically about women's rights women's rights was not or reproductive rights in general was not an issue that was brought up on its own like deficits or although i believe it was for the liberal government in 2015 no but in this current in this current election yeah um yeah, because it actually was in 2015 for the liberal government. And what did they do for that? They subsidized health care. Mm-hmm. Um, they made the access to abortion free more, uh, and more accessible. Um, and they also had gender parity within the cabinet. Important things to note. Anyways, in general, where do they stand? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the liberal government puts, his money, puts their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. And they have actually taken... Take an action to support women's rights, mm-hmm. women's reproductive health. Um, I don't know about woman empowerment because um, you can definitely argue that there is no such thing as woman empowerment for, you know, for people unless all women are taken into consideration and indigenous women aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in like the indigenous culture, like land is very much part of like the identity like it's mother earth and if you plunder the land you are not being true to that stance of like empowering women Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah um and i know that the conservative government is conservative in that they do not want to have they do not want to provide access to um free abortion healthcare services like um like birth control um this was something that we talked about by education but it ties back to women's rights is that the uh, conservative government actually changed the way sex ed was being taught yep in schools which in in effect is the most damning towards women and girls but you're right i don't think that there was one specific like women's rights or women's empowerment was not a party agenda topic 
for any political party. So I think like that's important to talk about because that's something that I want. So what I, I did when I was looking into what part the each party's platform, I used Voter Compass um, as my main resource tool. Obviously, there are way there are multiple multiple tools that you can and should look into. Um, Voter Compass is by CBC, and I think that they did a really great job at putting together, basically taking all the issues of this year's election and taking every platform stance on the issue. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for everything. That's the Canadian elections 2019. Yeah. Um, I would have wanted to see what each party's policy platform is in regards to women's rights, be it um, Indigenous women's rights, be it healthcare, reproductive rights, um, because it looks like there's a lot of subjects that all fall within each other that they've broken out. So when we were talking about deficits, that plays into effect into taxes. Part of taxes also is a carbon tax, which affects climate change. You know, all these combine. Um, so I was a little hesitant when I didn't see anything about women's rights or what each each, pol- each party specifically part- is going to do. Yeah. I will say that the Liberal Party has made significant um, promises to help families with childcare. Mm-hmm. And that does inter- is in turn a women's rights issue because childcare falls on a woman um within like a family household within a like within a family. The t- the responsibility to take care of children does fall on women and it does impact women's careers the most. But I think in conclusion there is no like it's kind of like what you said, how every subtopic, like whether it's climate change or whether it's education or tax cuts, women's issues are weaved throughout that. But there's actually no clear plan on how women's rights are going to be taken into consideration and bolstered forward mm-hmm. um, in NDP, in liberal, in conservative, Green Party, People's Party, Bloc Quebecois at all which I think is problematic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of problematic. Speaking of problematic. Wow, what a perfect segue. I, I, I think we couldn't make this episode if we didn't talk about Justin Trudeau's brown face. Yeah. The recent allegations, not allegations because they were confirmed, mm-hmm. that came out about Justin Trudeau doing brown face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know where to start because I think that there's so much to unpack here. Yeah. And there's no way, like, in any of the topics we've talked about in this episode, we're going to get to every single thing. Which is also important to note that while we would have loved to get to every single topic... And gone in depth into the... More in depth into the topics we already talked about. Um, there are a lot of resources out there that you should check out that we'll even link in our description and also on, on Instagram that you can use when you're trying to make the best possible decision on who to vote for for this election season yeah okay so a few weeks ago a picture came out of justin trudeau when he was a teacher um in 2001 i believe so yeah in 2001 uh where he was dressed up as aladdin and he was sorry for it was i think it was a play anyways um it was a party. Oh. It was a party and he was dressed up as Aladdin and uh, he had done brown face. Yeah. And so obviously the media had like a field day. Yes. They were ready to go. They were ready to tear him down um, for what he had done. Marginalized communities were very up in arms and, and rightfully so. But saying, but the rhetoric I guess that came out of that was we already knew that Justin Trudeau is all talk mm-hmm. and no walking. No action. Like he says that he is for, he says he's for the people. He says that he is for the, um, you know, he believes that there are measures that need to be taken to change the perspective of immigration um, in Canada. And then he comes out with something. Like, and then it comes out that he's done this. Well, I think what made it worse too is it wasn't just one, but multiple photos that came out yeah. of instances of him doing brown face. Yeah. Um, so... People were pissed off. People were very angry. Rightfully so. Um, I don't... I can't... What is your your stance on it? As okay. a brown person, where do you stand on this? It's a lot of pressure. I'm only, to, I'm only speaking for myself um, and not like the racialized community in general. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about this happening, I genuinely think about who released it. 
and who had the most to gain from releasing this. And it was honestly more, I mean, you don't know, but more likely than not somebody from the opposing party, somebody from the conservative yeah, opposing party. Totally. Um, because when you look at the way that even the NDP party has come out against Justin Trudeau for doing this, the the narrative that has been formed is oh well we knew he was bad and look this just affirms that we what we already knew and it's not actually condemning the systemic processes and the systemic ways in which racism has been so entrenched into canadian history and law and politics that kind of made this okay and i think that when you look at if you think about yourself, not you, Nadine, yourself, but anybody who's listening to this, if you think about yourself 19 years ago, mm-hmm. if you think about the things that you said and did and, you know, the way that you acted and maybe some of the things that you wore, I am sure that every single one of us, me included, can think of at least two or three things that we do not want coming out. Or the, 100%. And the things that we said or the things that we did are not things that we actually agree with right now. Yep. And it's because of the way that, I'm not saying this is right, but I'm saying it's because of the way that the climate was 20 years ago. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And it's it's not to say that it's okay that he did that because it's obviously not okay. But as I think a brown person, what actually means more to me is what is going to happen next. For sure. It's not like that he, it's not, it's not not that he did brown face, but it's not that he did brown face. Mm -hmm. It's that at the end of the day, he came out and he was able to acknowledge that he made a mistake. And I don't know. I think it's a really touchy topic because I know people are very, very, very up in arms about this. But I think as a brown person, like what you're worried about, sadly, isn't that somebody is doing brown face. It's that, it's how is that actually going to be how it like what is the actual like current living in the current political climate that we're in right now what's being done about it and like you know the conservative party isn't a party that is like for immigration and that is for the advancement of marginalized communities Mm -hmm. and so for people to say well i'm not going to vote liberal because he did this and i actually knew that he was bad all along it's kind of what i was saying before is a hundred percent but what does he stand for now Mm-hmm. And he stands as an example, which we talked about the U.S. government as well. What do these political leaders stand for and set an example for? I I wonder, like I am curious, because this is something that would affect you and your community directly. Mm-hmm. Had Andrew Shear come out with brownface, mm-hmm. what would your reaction to have been to him have been, and would you have? Would it have made you? dislike him more more. and would you have been more understanding not understanding but would you have applied the same um train of thought which is that was 20 years ago what are you going to do about it now yeah i think so but i think the difference is that andrew shear stands for the not the displacement that's not the right word but he stands for the continued marginalization of oppressed communities or the or rather the continued oppression of marginalized communities mm. and by that i mean he's somebody who is against immigration he's somebody who is against lgbtq he's somebody who is who believes that large corporations who we know are who who holds power in large corporations is straight white cis men Mm -hmm. and so to me had that happened whether when if it were a conservative leader is i would have been less shocked i guess Mm -hmm. because i would have been like well i know that you already have you already perpetuate this idea Mm -hmm. in your politics so i'm not more or less forgiving Mm -hmm. i am i am I'm not sur- I'm not as surprised. I think it's interesting because I also think this goes back to the whole concept of strategic voting because you actually just made the same argument that other people have made about Justin Trudeau for Andrew Scheer that I knew that he was bad. Yeah. And now this just perpetuates my argument. 
But I think the difference is that Andrew Shear's current narrative is in line with if he had done brownface. Right. Like his, you're saying his his work and his policies speak to his beliefs more than his actual words regarding his beliefs do. Does that mean, like <laughs> what he the policies that he's enacted? Yes. Would have almost been his in actions line. speak louder than his words. Yeah, that's essentially what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like had he done brownface 20 years ago, I would have been like, well, I I get that because right now, you have evolved to have the same mm-hmm. views in like the oppression of marginalized communities. Whereas I does that make sense? Yes. Whereas I think Justin Trudeau has done brownface 20 years ago, but where he is now mm-hmm. has evolved completely different. Got it. I mean. One can make an argument. One can make an argument either way. And yeah. also one can totally say you're just buying into like the, the the media of it all, the way that Justin Trudeau wants you to look at it. And yeah. and it's true. Like, you're right. Um, but I, I see your point of view. Like, I remember somebody that I follow on Instagram made a really good, um, made a, a really good point on his Instagram story that I, I wish I could quote. But essentially what he was saying is that you have to think about the bigger picture and who you are voting for and and i got back to strategic voting yeah and he was like you just you really have to think about where you're going to vote and where it makes the most sense yeah because if you take your vote away from the liberal party yeah right not that we're trying to sway anyone not that this is our personal this is our personal opinion all this entire episode is our personal opinion i mean except for the facts (laughs) um if you take your vote away from the liberal party and you give it to the NDP. Mm-hmm. And I support, personally, I will come out and say I support the NDP party. Mm-hmm. What am I actually doing? Because as it stands right now, the NDP is not a party that's going to win. Not that they can't, but as it stands right now. Historically. Historically and, and based on the facts right now. If you look up election polls right now. Mm-hmm. Conservative and liberal are 33%. They're like neck and neck. Like one will be 32.4 and the other one will be 33.4 and then it'll go back and forth. Yeah, for sure. Whereas NDP is 16%. Mm -hmm. That gap for me in my brain is not going to get filled. Yeah. When election, it's the 15th or 16th, 14th jokes. It's the 14th today. And one week, I don't see that 32 Versus a 16. Yeah. I don't see that gap being filled. And if I were, if I'm, I'm an NDP and if I'm voting NDP, I can almost guarantee that who I want to win is not going to win. Or who you don't want. And who I don't want to win. Will win. Will win. And so in my mind, I would rather give my vote I would much rather, and this is just me personally, much rather have the Liberal Party in power than Conservative. I'm not saying that the Liberal Party is the best party to vote for. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they have done the best that they could or that they have done everything that they said that they were going to do or that I believe that they are the, that Justin Trudeau is the best leader to lead Canada. And I don't think that and I I don't 100% believe that. But what I do 100% believe is that having Justin Trudeau as the gov- as the person in power in government is 100,000 times more favorable than having Andrew Scheer for me personally. And so when we say that there are so many different parties in Canada, it's true. There are six. We counted six, mm-hmm. right? It's really a race between two. And I guess this is why electoral reform would have been good because it would have been able to proportionalize i don't know if that's a word make proportionate the amount of votes that each place had it would have made it proportionate who you voted for versus who you voted against who you voted against which is how it is now Okay, so we just gave a ton of information in this episode regarding the upcoming elections. Mm -hmm. The point that we really want to make sure that we get across is that when you go to vote on October 21st... And please do. Please please go vote. Make sure that it's an educated and informed one. We can't stress enough the importance of casting a vote and the... We, you know, we talked about a bit about the like 
trickling down effect in politics. But when you go to make your vote, that is such a powerful tool that you own that creates a trickling down effect in your everyday life in ways that you can't even imagine even imagine like we talked about like we talked about so make sure that it's one that's informed educated i we highly recommend going to cbc uh, voter compass that's one really great resource yeah and we will link resources in the description of this episode Mm -hmm. and on our instagram if you you know aren't sure where to go or are trying to find out where we got our information from we will 100 percent link you that information yeah. because we and nadine said this but like we genuinely cannot stress enough the importance of casting your ballot and having an informed decision about where you stand and and knowing where you stand on things so you can make the best vote possible for yourself 